Thank you for tuning in. It's time for this week's episode of History's Hook with your host, Tom Price. Take it away, Tom. Good morning and welcome to History's Hook, where I guarantee we'll get you hooked on history. I'm your host, Tom Price. Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. We'll explore a new topic every week and bring in experts and eyewitnesses to the events and places we'll be talking about. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. Today, we will be talking to retired professional boxer Sammy Sparkman. Born and raised in Columbia, Tennessee, Mr. Sparkman began boxing when he was just seven years old. Following some time away from the sport, Mr. Sparkman spent six years in amateur boxing before turning pro in 1997. He fought in the ring all over the United States and the world, including Poland, Canada, Denmark, Italy, and elsewhere. He's been in the ring with seven future world champions and numerous world title contenders. Known by the nickname Silk, he had a reputation of never turning down a challenge. Like many boxers, however, Sparkman never got the acclaim or the accompanying reward that he fought for during his career. In 2009, at the age of 39, Sparkman hung up his gloves. Today, we'll learn the full story. Sammy Sparkman, welcome to History's Hook. Thank you for having me. We're joined in the studio also by my co-host, historian Joanne McClellan. Good morning to you, Joanne. Good morning, Tom. First off, Mr. Sparkman, you and I met this week for the very first time when you came into the Murray County Archives. You'd sp- said to you that, that you had spent... Uh, most of the night awake the previous night with yes. your mind focused on the history of this place that you call home. What does Columbia, Tennessee mean to you? It means to me, like, it's really, when I say home, home. I mean, I want to know everything about Columbia as as a whole. I mean, as far back as I can remember, it's maybe when I was three of, between three and five years old. You know, it's like just different things that happened, you know. It's like, and I just want to get to know which I wasn't tied taught or now I just at this point in my life I just want to get to know much more about Columbia as as it growed. Sure. Sure. How, uh, do you think this town has influenced you in your life? You're about 50 51 51 years old. How, how much has Columbia influenced you? You've been all over the world. You've experienced a lot in your life. What what is Columbia? What have you taken from Columbia? Actually from Columbia itself I've taken just, you know, just trying to recognize different things that's going on in in Columbia and things that grow, the different changes that I've seen, you know, as I've grown. And, you know, it's like, and more or less, it keeps me, just thinking about my hometown just keeps me more grounded. T- tell us about your family. Did you come from a big family? Who were who your parents? and what did my, my family, it was, I want to say I come from a big family, and my mother was Mary, Mary Mitchell, which is Mary Sparkman maiden name my dad was sam walker and uh they they brought me up pretty well you know it's like now nah, my dad well he was there but as much as he possibly could my mom mm-hmm. she was there all the time and i learned a lot from my mom she was the she was the heart and soul you know uh-huh. <laughs> she was the heart and soul was she you tough know? on you she was always tough on me yes and she was one of those women who just worked her butt off yeah and my dad even though i learned he was once i really knew and understood my dad i learned he was paralyzed from the day that i was born his whole left side was he was paralyzed and uh, Mm. from that point you know i've always seen him work his butt off you know so their work ethic 
comparing myself to them, watching them. I had a real strong work ethic, real strong. And it starts with those two. I mean, they really b- built me. They set that example yes, for you. Yes, really, yes. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have, well, let's not get into that <laughs> one. But <laughs> but on my mom's side, I have uh, four, f- four sisters and two more brothers. Okay. Yeah. Um, Where did you, you go to school? I went to school at, at College Hill, which is elementary, which mm-hmm. is great. Then I went to uh, Riverside Elementary. Then I transformed over to Whitthorn Elementary. I never made it right into Central. That's when I really dropped out of school, and that's when I realized, like, because I always, always told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to be the first one of your kids to graduate. You know, it's like, did I fail her or did I fail myself? I failed myself. Huh. Yeah. What year did you drop out of school? Uh, it's back in 86. 86. 86, yeah. So you're about 15 years old or thereabout? Yeah, 15, 15, at, 16. At that point. And uh, I dropped out of school and it's like, and I really failed myself. And then I realized, it's like, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Right. Yeah, it's like, and I'm like, that realizing, like, Sammy, you have nothing. You didn't graduate. You know, it's like, so I put on my big boy pants, just went to work and started, you know, just working my butt off like I was taught from my mom and dad. What kind of work did you do at 15? I was, I was actually a restaurant manager at Shoney's. Okay. You know, I started out as a, as a bus boy, which is started at the bottom and worked my way up to general manager, which Perfect. was at Shoney's. And I stayed with that company for about 18 years. Wow. wow. And then after that, I mean, that's, I wouldn't say I was really sad, you know. And then after that, it's like, once I lost my job at Shoney's, it's like, what am I going to do now? Was that Shoney's here in Columbia? In Col- I went from Columbia, to, from Columbia to Franklin to Lawrenceburg to Murfreesboro, worked in those three restaurants and four restaurants. And, you know, it's like, I thought life was good because I kept a good house hold with my kids and kept roof over their head, kept clothes on their back and what they needed, where everything they needed as far as I understood. I had them everything that they needed. And uh, once I realized I lost my job at Shonis, I was like, man, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do? And I said, well, kind of buckle up again. <laughs> right. So what did you do? And then I actually just, I mean, I, I, once I realized I, I came back, I left for a while, but I came back and I went, ended up going back into boxing after leaving it for so years and realized, you know, it's like I can do something with this. You know, I thought maybe I was good enough. I could do something with it. And and uh, for a while, for about 12 years, I turned pro and that went well. Let, let's get into that a little bit. So you've gained some fame in your boxing career. We need to step back with that, though. You started boxing according to an article that I read, when you were seven years old. Seven, yes, seven. What, what got you interested in boxing? Oh, oh, that's, that's a story because I love telling this story. There was, there was a guy that was coming that was, used to run every day. I would play out in front of my house. There was a guy, his name was George Watkins. You know, everybody called him Les, you know. and uh, He used to run every day, and I, re- I was always wanted to say, where's this guy's running? Where's he going? <laughs> every day, I see him running. So I stopped him one day and I said, uh, where are you going every day? Where are you running? So he told me he was going to the boxing gym. And he said, I said, I want to go. I want to go. He said, well, go ask your mom. 
And then from that day on, I started going and running to the gym with him. He'd come down the street. I'd jump in his path and run with him to the gym. It's like, yes. And that's when it all started. It's like, and we started diving. I think my first fight was out in Nashville. Yeah, it was in Nashville. I got pulverated. How old were you? How old were you with your first fight? Eight years old. Eight <laughs> years old. <laughs> I have a son that's your age, and when he was eight years old, he could barely play t-ball in yeah. St. Louis. So yeah. you're boxing? Yes, yes. I, I thought maybe you know from that point, it's like I thought in my mind, I was just doing something because I wanted to do something. I didn't. Didn't did want to stay at home playing the yard. I just did, to did you love the sport? At that time, yes. I mean, I was always, every day I'd go to work, I'd go to school. Once I get out of school, I'd go home and do homework, and then I'd get ready to go to the gym. Where was the gym? It was, I don't know exactly the street. It was on the other side of College Hill School. Okay. Okay. Which was great. I remember the street it was on, and I still don't know that street today. <laughs> Did you have a trainer or? Morgan Hines. Morgan Hines, the okay. Best guy ever. The best guy ever. One of the best guy. One of the best guys. I want to say the best guy that ever stepped in my corner. Okay. Is that right? Yes. Did he own the gym? He owned the gym. He ran the gym. As far as I remember, no back as far as I hear, he started the gym back in 1969. 69 that's just what i think mm-hmm. and uh when you first started in your seven years old were there many guys going to the oh that was quite, that was a lot of guys it was popular yeah it was a lot of guys it was i want to say it was like at least anywhere from 13 to 20 guys you know we had we had a team we had a, a real good team wow any yeah. other seven-year-olds yeah that was really <laughs> that was me and that was i mean i'm mean, between seven and i'm gonna say between seven and Seven and ten, that was me, that's me, my, my, my brother, you know, other guy named Jer- Jeffrey Walker, you know, it's like, you know, a lot of guys, some of the guys I don't even remember, you know, but we always just fought together and, and just, just learned from each other and picked on each other every day. <laughs> did you, did you follow boxing nationally? I mean, it, it's a, it's always been a popular sport, of course. Did you know anything about boxing outside of what was happening in Columbia in that gym? No, yeah, nothing, nothing. To this day, I could probably tell you some things, but other than that, so you didn't have any boxing mentors outside of no. who was in your gym. You're no. you're just learning the sport, learned the sport, and I, and that's why I, so I give myself a pat on the back because everything I've done, I was, I'm that guy. I like, I done it on my own. Nobody really drove me to do it. I chose to do it and and go forward with it. In the article that I read, it said that you stopped boxing when you were about 11 years old. Was he 11? I want to say maybe I did. Do you remember what prompted you having to leave the gym or wanting to leave the gym? I think what prompted me and what really we moved from the east side of town, which is on 8th Street, to Nashville Highway, which is behind, which was I always called it behind the Coca-Cola plant. Okay. You know, okay. which was McBride Circle. We moved out there, and there was no way to get back and forth. Okay. Unless you the ran. coach, Morgan Hines, <laughs> would send his associate to pick us all up. Huh. So she would come, and which was great. She'd come, and she'd pick us all up. And we'd have a car full of guys, and we'd go to the gym and work out. I mean, it was, it was great. Hmm. It was great. So in that interim time, when you were boxing sort of intermittently, when you could maybe, or training intermittently when you could, um, you said you were you were working, 
you're going to school for a time, dropped right. out of school, but right. you're working full time right. at that point in time, just trying to trying to make some money, make some money, that's try to it. live. Yeah, that's it. Until you're 21 years I'll old, try to help my mother out and what I could. Yeah. Um, at 21, you became an amateur boxer. 21, I, I became back in, in amateur boxing, and I did good. And what does it mean to be an amateur? So you're working out. You continued to work out during this these off years when you're working. No, really. I was I was a, I was a street guy. Yeah. I mean, I want I don't want to say street guy because I want to say I was one of those guys who stayed from the street but want to just have fun, hang out with the guys. You sure. know. I wouldn't call myself a street guy. Everybody was like, he wouldn't go street guy. <laughs> <laughs> so when, at what point did did you think about boxing seriously? Uh, when I thought about boxing seriously is when I came back when I was 21. Because uh, Morgan and I hadn't seen each other for years. And uh, I was working in, in Franklin. And uh, I was I was a system manager in Franklin, the Shonis. He came through one day, and God knows why. But uh, he came through. Him and I bumped into each other, talked to each other, and uh, and uh, he's like, uh, "I haven't seen you forever." I said, "I know." I said, "I've been working, trying to keep roof over my head, keep shoes on my kids, and you know, honestly, you know, just trying to take care of the family." He's like, well, "Why don't you come back to the gym?" I was like, "Okay, I will." And that time, I was smoking cigarettes, drinking. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, it's like I was like, "No, this 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 ain't gonna work." Then I just. Dropped everything I was doing and started working, going to gym, working, going to gym. And then with that time, I took it serious. And uh, I had three amateur fights from the time I was 21 till I was 23. Maybe it was six, 23. And uh, I just kept fighting, kept fighting. And all of a sudden, he came to me one day. He said, uh, because I was doing real good, and I felt like I was doing real good. And uh, he's like, uh, do you want to? Would you would you like to turn pro? I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> so explain what it means to turn pro. What does it take to make that transition from amateur boxing to professional boxing? Is it just you have a promoter that puts you out there, or do you have to win a certain number of matches, or what? How, you how have does it work? you have a trainer promoter that put that really puts your name out there. And these guys, as a boxing, as I figure it, they look at these records and and see what the seesaw math was of them and they try to figure out or they see you on television or they see you on a, on a recording that they record and they would make a decision like this could be a good 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 thing you know and uh so, so the promoter or the manager is seeing a financial possibility coming that's, from a fighter that's what i think you know and that's what i mean that's actually that's what i i feel and uh yeah they see a financial standpoint at the same time they see a financial standpoint but at the same time that fighter is probably looking at a financial standpoint sure. or financial stability or somewhat of stability which is not really stability for most fighters and uh and it just opens up and one thing leads to another and you go from amateur straight into professional and you have no protection as a professional and you try to figure out if I go do this <laughs> <laughs> no but no protection meaning contract no, no headgear oh you know ooh. you know no I oh, mean, so so that's a difference so let's talk about that a second the difference yeah. between amateur boxing there right. are there are rule changes right in those two so in right. amateur boxing you wear headgear it's protecting your amateur rig you wear headgear you wear shirts but 
you you got short shirts and shorts and amateur and pros you don't wear shirt you don't wear no head that gear all goes away. and all you got is gloves you know and, and your head movement and it's like wow I'm doing this you know and I was at Morgan and I I went to see Morgan just the other day when we seen each other and him and I was sitting there talking and first thing he does is come in and we hug each other talk to each other history he has the VCR turns on my first fight ever <laughs> As a as a pro, as a pro, yeah, and wow. it was the first fight was in in Nashville at the Municipal Auditorium, and uh, we sat and watched him like against wow. Joe Anderson. Yes, yes, Joe Anderson sure was, and uh, he's like, wow. I was like, wow. It's like we sat there and watched it, and I had to rewind it, watch it again. I mean, because I remember that fight vividly. I mean, just we're gonna like, we're gonna yes. talk about it. We need to take a break. Okay, we're gonna take our first break. When we come back, I want to hear all about your first fight against Joe Anderson okay. at Municipal Auditorium right. in Nashville. You're listening to History's Hook. We'll be right back. Don't go away. History's Hook with your host Tom Price will be right back after this brief commercial break. This is Trip Stoltz with Columbia Ace Hardware. I love listening to 101.7 WKOM-FM, Columbia, Tennessee. At Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat, you can always count on us for a great selection of late model, low mileage, one owner vehicles. All have been thoroughly inspected and are ready to go. You can even save time and buy online with our online shopping tool. Looking to sell your vehicle? Great news! We're paying top dollar for your trade. All makes, all models, and in any condition. Trade in and trade up today. At Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat, you can count on us. Hello. This is Rick Tillis with Tillis Jewelry in Columbia and Lewisburg, Tennessee. What are you looking for in a jeweler? Knowledgeable staff? Experienced goldsmiths? Or true custom designers? Experienced working with clients creating that perfect gift for a special loved one? Well, you have found them. Tillis Jewelry. Wear this and so much more. Check us out at TillisJewelry.com or on Facebook and Instagram to see our latest creations. Tillis Jewelry. Columbia and Lewisburg, Tennessee. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. This is Dr. Dominic Mancini from the Dr. Gill Center. Have you been injured in a car accident? Are you still in pain? Untreated whiplash injuries to the spine may lead to future conditions, such as neck pain, low back pain, and headaches. The doctors at the Dr. Gill Center specialize in detecting and treating these conditions before they get worse. Our accident consultations are free. Call me, painfree.com, or call 615-551-9224. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. 
Welcome back to History's Hook. Today, we are speaking to Sammy Sparkman, who is a professional boxer coming out of Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, Sammy, when we went to break, we were just talking about your very first professional fight. So this happens, you go pro in 1997. Your debut fight is against a guy named Joe Anderson at Municipal Auditorium in Nashville. So is this your first fight? You said you'd fought in Nashville prior to this. I fought in Nashville as an amateur prior yeah. to this, but this is my pro, the first pro fight. What did it feel like, the first pro fight? It was, very, like? it was, it was different, but I was like, when I, I mean, I, I felt like I was just happy to be there. It's like it was, it was just something. It's like, yes, you know, like, okay, I'm doing something. Were there a lot of people in the audience? Yes, it really was. Was that know? the first time that you'd fought in front of a big crowd? Well, it's always been big crowds. Really? As amateurs, okay. we always had good crowds, you know, very supportive families and family members. And, you know, it's like it was always crowd. But as a professional, it was different because you had no headgear, no shirt. And you and you got all these people yelling your name when you come out. They're going to <laughs> uh, uh, tunnels like, oh, God. <laughs> and uh, actually, I... I uh, I felt pretty good about my first fight. And what did he, you know about your opponent, Joe nothing, Anderson? Nothing. I mean, and, and and then from that point on, I knew nothing about none of my opponents. Nothing. Was that typical? Not to know No. Your... No. I mean, that's just the point. Like, me, myself, I was like, I was didn't want to know anything. Really? I just wanted to go fight. Because I felt like I was good enough. I could fight anybody. All right. <laughs> You know, I mean, and, and I just wanted to fight. You know, it's like, and even when the coach come in and say, "You want to see a tape of this guy?" And, nah, let's not do that. Mm. You know, I, I'd rather. So keep that my, information was offered to you. Yeah, you I want to keep. I want to keep my level, my mind level where it's at, and my mind level is here instead of being down in the middle or down low. I don't want to put myself in any other level than I'm at. You know. So That's, you came into every fight confident you were going to win every fight. Every fight, confident I was going to win. Did you win your first fight? I won my first fight. Talk, talk about it. Do you remember your fight, first fight? I remember the first fight. And now that you say it, I mean, I was watching it just the other day. It's like, ah. Uh, I mean, and I remember it. I mean, because. How many rounds was this fight scheduled for? Do you remember? It was scheduled for eight rounds, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, eight rounds, if I'm not mistaken. And I stopped him in the second round. <laughs> second? Second round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, if I, I mean, maybe in the third round, but I'm saying I, saw, I stopped him in the second round. I mean, we had a good battle. We had a good battle going. I mean, he hit me, I hit him, and we was, and for some reason or another, I was like, everything just went. I mean, we was in clutches. We was uh, away from each other, punching each other, and for some reason, I caught him with an uppercut, and then with a left hook, it's like, oh. and I could see this stuff unfolded. Uh-huh. <laughs> with a knockout? Yes, with a, not a knockout, knockout, clean knockout, but a technical knockout okay. means he got an eight count and he couldn't, he didn't want to go. Actually, his corner threw in the towel. They didn't want to see him continue because I really caught him with like six good punches, like just. I I I never even realized it till I just watched the fight the other day. <laughs> What's it feel like looking back on a fight now that you're 51? Looking back when you're in your 20s, your very first, your debut professional fight. How, what did it feel to watch that back? It feels weird, but you'd be like, to me, in my state of mind, I was like, I did that, I did that. Yeah, I'm all right with that. You know, it's like it makes you want to. And 
in my in my fit, it makes me want to go back to the gym and work out some. Like, then I was like, nah. <laughs> you remember no. what the punches were <laughs> <feel> like, right? <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> what did your mom think when you did your first fight? My mom, I don't really know. Okay. I really don't. I, I'm not going to lie. I don't really know. You know, it's like. She knew I was working. I was I was boxing. I was fighting, and even when I was amateur, she she was always supportive of it. Just keep me busy doing Did something. Watch it? Did she come watch your fights? The first fight, I don't remember if she came, but I knew my I know my some of my family members came showed up because I think she was more or less not wanting to see it. <laughs> sure, not wanting to see it. You know, that's, that's probably typical, right? right? <laughs> I can relate. I, I think she was one that didn't want to see it, and it's like this ain't right. And then I think I fought several times, and I finally got to come out to see one fight, and I can't remember which fight it was. And I think it was in Nashville. She came to Nashville once, and we fought in Columbia twice. So I think she came to those. And where did you fight in Columbia? We fought at Central High, and we fought. Was, yeah, we fought at Central, and we fought it at the uh, at Whitthorn both. Really, in the gym in the okay. auditorium. Yeah. Between that opening fight in August of 1997 and August of the following year, you won seven bouts. Seven, yeah. Your yeah. first seven fights, yeah. you won. Yeah. That's an impressive beginning to a career. In September of 1998, you got a fight against Mikkel Kessler. In Copenhagen, in Co- Denmark, Denmark, Copenhagen. Yes. Uh, how did this fight get booked? That's oh. a that's a big jump. It was, it was promoters talking to promoters and saying this could be a fight, this could be a fight. But then again, it's like in my eyes, looking at it or thinking about it, they was they was trying to get somebody to come in and help this guy make a career for himself or make a career for this guy. You know, I wouldn't that guy to say no. I'm not fighting him. Yeah, I want to fight. Yeah, let's just go. So he was considered an up and comer. He was 19 years old at the time. Right. Yeah, uh, just starting out. He had a five and zero record. Right. You had a seven and zero record. <laughs> right. going into this fight. Right. Had you traveled much beyond Tennessee at this point in time? Uh, we traveled before, and we we went to. I want to say we went to uh, Michigan, New York. We've been, we've been different places. I mean, we've always wanted the tuna core to fight and, and different okay. places like that. But once it's at Denmark, Copenhagen, I was like, where's this place? A long right, fight, right. a long plane where's ride. This place? <laughs> was, like, yes. was that intimidating just to be in a different country, different language, different people? Was it intimidating for you? In the thought process of the beginning, yes. You know, and I was like, I still want to go, you know. <laughs> and then once I got there, it's like, it was like. I felt so good because they treated you like you was just so important, huh. you know, like and, and instead of them, even if we didn't know each other's language, we understood what each other was saying, you know, so they made I I felt comfortable there. I felt welcomed, you know, and we talked like like it, we knew each other for years, you know, huh. even the people and everybody. It's like and then the day of the weigh in, which is this was just. Stunning, the day of the weigh-in, we weighed in and uh, we both weighed one forty, and uh, I was okay about that. And the day after the weigh-in was the fight, so I get in the ring, I look across the across the ring at this guy. He looks nothing like the guy that, I, <laughs> that we weighed in about, you know. But he was, you know, I mean, because 
I'm saying he. I mean, visually in his face, he was the guy. He looked. He was sure. the guy. But his body mass seemed as if like, and I tell the story most of the time. Seemed like he ate another guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if I was tripping or what. You know, it's like look like he just ate another guy. It's like. This guy is huge. So he looked intimidating to you. <laughs> yes. I'm like, this guy was huge. But, you know, I was like, I'm here. God got me here. That was the reason for me to be here. He he had a nickname, the Hitman. The Hitman, yeah. <laughs> also a little intimidating. Yeah. Did you have your nickname yet? Did I? My nickname was always Silk. Always. Always. So even so prior to your professional one, career. Always. How'd you get the name? My, I was... It was I was real young. I want to say I was like four or five, and or maybe between four and seven. And my uncle, he just started calling me Silk, Silk Sammy, Silk Sammy. I was like Silk, Silk. Like, I just stuck with it. I stuck. I just took it. And I took it and kept it. When they introduced you in that fight against Kessler, they inter- inter- introduced him as uh, Mikkel the Hitman, Hitman Kessler. Right, right. They introduced you by your full name. Your right. middle, middle name, Alan? Yeah, Alvin. Alvin. Yeah. Okay. So they, yeah. they didn't use Silk. No, they didn't. You know, and it's like, and, and I didn't, I mean, I did, it didn't bother me. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, the fight was, it was, he was a hard hitter. He was a, that was, a, I mean, that was my eighth fight, and he hit like he was just, it was unreal getting hit like that you know it's like oh well it's he, just a hit <laughs> he, he was 19 you were 28 yeah so there's yeah. a pretty big age difference pretty big, yeah there. pretty big difference you're yeah. seven and oh yeah. he's five yeah. and oh coming right. into the fight right. neither one of you had been beaten yet so right. you, you're going in confident though like oh, yeah. you had in oh, every yeah. fight prior to this oh, yes you're yes. going it but you didn't do any research on him no no it was again none I mean, but I, did, I did you never think you might gain an advantage by understanding his stance or what his strength is? If he's a hard right hitter or a hard left hitter, did it? Did it? What was your thought process with that? My thought process was I wouldn't learn anything. Okay, you know, even if I've seen him, and that's just me at that point in my life. It's like I won't learn anything. It's like he could be another whole different person when I get there, just like a whole different body. Uh, but at the same time, I've just always thought it's like you got to go in and you got to go in with confidence and just fight. Did, did you, you feel know? like a boxer is going to adjust anyway? So, you know, the boxing being a fluid sport the way it is by by studying them, maybe maybe you don't learn or maybe you don't you, learn enough. You don't way. learn or you don't learn. You don't learn enough because you have to adjust in any given yep. day or situation. You have to adjust to the situation itself you know it's like you just so advantage is at that point maybe maybe not dependent at 51 if you could speak to your 28 year old self <laughs> would you would you counsel yourself to do it differently i would and i would also have you know if i was my own coach i would tell my tell my myself hey do this do that you got to understand this guy's come with this, you know. We're, we're practice on this, you know. You got to understand this guy's come with this. We're practice on this, but you have to understand it's going to be different angles that you have to come at this with, right? So the styles are different. The yeah, attack is very different. Very different. Very okay. different. You know, it's like it's, it's it's a lot of it's really a lot of studying on that as far as styles go. 
that's why I say most of the time you have to go into it with a confident mindset and just adjust as it moves forward. With 117 left in the first (coughs) round, a flurry of punches by Kessler knock you out. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Who was in your corner that day? That was Morgan Hines and Lorenzo Washington, which is the next best guy in my corner. He was he's awesome. Yeah. You, you lost your first fight. Uh, how did that feel? How did you take How did you take this first loss? Me myself, a loss. It's just another day at the office. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and that's you took just, it in stride. That's always with me. It's always me, and to this day, it's still always me. A loss, just another day in the office. You know, it's like you didn't do something right. Move on. You got to keep moving forward. If you stand still, you're not going to accomplish nothing. You got to keep stepping. Mikkel Kessler uh, would go on to be a three-time WBA super welterweight champion, ending his career with a uh, 46-win, three-loss record. So I don't think you need to hang your head on a loss against a guy like that. (laughs) I'm not going to hang my head. We're not. I'm I'm just keep moving forward. I love your outlook. And that's what I've still done. It's like I'm still moving forward. You know, and I look back at some of these guys, even the amateur guys that I came over with, looked up some of those guys and tried to compare myself with, you know, where they are, where I'm at, you know, it's like, and then even with some of the professional guys that I fought, I put myself in like, where are they and where am I at this point in our lives? Did you have a boxing career goal? No. Just fighting one fight to the next? My goal, my goal mentally was keep a roof on my kid's head. You saw it as a career. You saw it as a means to, for Not as a career. I seen it as a position to keep finances in my household because I dropped out of school you know I tried my best so at that point I was like a journeyman fighter journeyman fighter so it means you fight anybody go anywhere do anything what you need to do and if you could capitalize off of it you're going to capitalize off of it if there's a leading into your career where you start just keep going up and up and up that's great but if you feel like it comes to time where you know it's not going to work I've tried. Then you say, okay, time to move it's on. not going to work. You know, it's time to, you know, and I told my mom, I was like, I won't say I was 37. And I told my mom, I said, uh, this, I'll let you know in my last fight. She's like, it's time for you to quit. You know, it's like, and my fiance at the time said, you know, I think, I think enough's enough. You know, and it's like, and I decided it's like, enough's enough. So when I say it's enough. You know, I mean, and not being a smart butt, you know, it's enough's enough. And I say it's enough, you know, it's like, and when I fought 39, what was his name? uh, I can't remember his dang old name. I just had it on the tip of my tongue just the other day, but we fought out in St. Louis and uh, I see. It wasn't Spinks, was it? No, No. Spinks and I, we fought down in Memphis, I believe. Memphis at, was it Memphis at the, yeah, him and I fought in Memphis. Okay. And we went eight rounds, and he got the decision, which was okay. I mean, I was okay with that because I, I was just proud to be fighting him and go eight rounds, and we finished eight rounds, and he got the decision. I'm like, yeah, you know, I fought <laughs> one of the guys, you know, and it went on, you know. Um, Andre Lottimore. Lottimore, that's it. Lottimore was his yep. name. Yeah. And when I fought in 39, I mean, at age 39, I fought Andre Lottimore. Him and I, I looked at him. It's like, this is going to be my last fight. I'm going to beat this guy. I said, I'm beating him. I'm winning this fight. And uh, 
From round one, every punch I threw, I hit him. <laughs> and I knew I was going to hit him. And I, t- I would tell my, this was so interesting because I would tell myself, I'm going to hit him with this. And I would really hit him with that. You know, and I would really get away with it. And sometimes he called me and then, uh, I mean, and uh, we went on and we went, was it 10 rounds? 10 rounds, 10 rounds. And he got the decision. And uh, in my eyes and in the crowd's eyes, I beat him. I beat him. Hmm. You know, when they gave him that, when they decided, when the decision came and he won that fight, I knew that was it. Mm. I knew that was it. I saw, I, I mean, because maybe if I'd won that fight, I may have went on and had another one or two fights. <laughs> <laughs> but once I realized that that decision came through, they're not going to, I mean, nobody's going to, you know, give me a fight. I mean, nobody's going to judge me to win a fight even if I win it. Right. Because it's been like, Eight, eight fights that I know of that I should have won. And the decision went the other way. Went the other way. Did that make me mad? Yes. <laughs> yes I read that did. the Kessler fight was your biggest career payday. Can I ask, how, how much did you make on that fight? And what was it your biggest I, payday? I really keep that personal. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I really do. I, I really keep that, that personal. But I tell, you, I, I tell you this. Within my fighting career, I made a pretty good hunk of money. Okay. Yeah, I just put it like that. You know, it's like I made a pretty good hunk of money. You know, it's like as far as keeping the roof on my kids' head, I did everything. Putting, I mean, make sure they had everything they need. Were you working at the same time you were fighting? Full time job, sixty sixty hours. Wow, really? sixty hours. Give, give me an idea of a typical day for you then in your typical, professional career. What what in you're my waking pro- up at what time and what's your day like? In my professional career, I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I would go to work by five. I'd get off at five. I get off at anywhere between four and six. I'd go home, talk to my kids, see how the school day went, and I talk to my woman, their mother, and say, "I'm I'm going to the gym. I'll be getting dressed, and I'm headed to the gym." So I'd go to I leave work. I leave work. I leave my house by five thirty six. Get to the gym. I probably work out to eight or nine o'clock at night. Go home. Go to sleep. Wow. And there was times where there was two times where I left home after work. And I knew I didn't have to be at work the next day. I would stay at the gym, work out, go to sleep in the gym. Really? Get up the next morning, work out. That's a work ethic. Yes, yes. That's where I was at one point in my life. For about those 12 years of professional fighting, I was physically half mentally there. But I knew physically I was there. You know what I'm saying? Wow. I would get up and I, I mean... You'd see me. You'd see me running through town at least five days a week. Sometime I'd run on the bypass on <laughs> on eight uh, four twelve to the gym, ten miles. Just run. It's impressive. Just run. Do you still work out? No. <laughs> yes, my job. That's my workout. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. My job is my workout. That's it. <laughs> we're going to take our second break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Sammy Sparkman. We'll be right back on History Sook. Don't go away. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, will be right back after this brief commercial break. You are listening to the best radio in Southern Middle Tennessee, WKOM 101.7. 
Hi, I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Parks Motor Sales was founded by my granddad, Bobby Parks, and my great-granddad, Julian Mays, in 1958. We've been family-owned the whole time, and being family-owned, locally-owned, means you get to get your next vehicle or your existing vehicle serviced by the same people who stand in the grocery line with you, drop their kids off at the same school you do, and smile and are happy to see you when they do. So come see us at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee, on 919 Nashville Highway or ParksMotorSales.com. I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. We have advertised with WKRM and WKOM for the past several years and found it to be very successful. I highly recommend advertising with them if you have a local business like ours. We're located at 1608 Hatcher Lane here in Columbia. We're open Monday through Friday from 8 to 6 and Saturdays from 8 to 2. Stop by Holland's for all your prescription needs where we have fast, friendly, courteous service. We custom fit support hosts for you also. Thanks for supporting Holland's and WKRM and WKOM. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. A while back, I told you a story about Packer, our mascot, that Don found in the garbage truck after someone had thrown her out. Well, since then, I've been asked several times about Packer. Is she a dog or is she a cat? I guess I never thought to say, but she's a pit bull mix. And you can see a picture of her sitting in the driver's seat of Don's service truck on our website, garbagemaninc.com. Serving Murray County for 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has provided the highest quality jewelry at the very best prices. They work hard to make their customers happy, and it's paid off. Their customers keep going back. Quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. We offer jewelry loans up to $4,500, and we will buy your gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still the same. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. The crimson and white jerseys. Front court to the rack and the play. The sound of a buzzer beater. Got it to go as the buzzer sounds. The roll tide chant from the crowd. Three. Got it. And he's fouled. It can only be Alabama basketball. Join the Alabama Crimson Tide right here. On your home for Alabama basketball. The Crimson Tide Sports Network from Learfield. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today we're speaking with Silk Sparkman, who was one of the very few professional boxers that came out of Columbia. Uh, Mr. Sparkman, Fight Club journalist David Kessel did a piece on you and asked a number of interesting questions. One of the ones that he asked, he mentioned that you really never learned the process or business of boxing, and it sounded like you had some regrets that you didn't know more about the the business side of boxing. Do you feel that you were taken advantage of by promoters or matchmakers during your career? Sometimes, yes. I'm gonna say most of the time, yes. But they were doing what they wanted to do. I'm not saying which was legally right in the book, and I was doing what I thought I just I wanted to do, which was fight, fight, make money, you know. And that's what I wanted to do. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing it, you know. And uh, even when I tell, when I spoke to him, I was like, and, and these guys, you know, they're doing what they think they want to get get over on somebody. You're not getting over on nobody. You're cheating somebody. Yeah. You're ripping somebody off. The one that's risking everything in the ring. Everything. You know, you're, ri- you're ripping these guys off, you know, and some of these guys— I'm knock on wood again. Some of these guys would not make it to where I'm at today. And mentally, I think I'm in a good position. 
physically, I think I'm in a good position. You know, it's like still got my head on my shoulders. I'm still able to walk around talking, have fun, and, and cut up with everybody. Still able to keep a good, steady job. You know, still able to really do basically what I want to do. You know, some, some, of these, can't. some of these guys can't even get out of bed or didn't make it out of, I mean, just didn't make it in this world. They they died. They got killed or they committed suicide. You know, it's like because of the lifestyle they was living or maybe the life, the area which they grew up in, you know, they sure. just stuck in that moment, you know. What advice would you give a young man who wanted to go into boxing as a career? And when, when you talk about, when you speak of boxing, I'm going to say I would, the advice I'd give any young man to as a person to go into any profession, athlete, athlete, athletic profession, do your best to find out what you can do to do everything right. Right meaning walk right, talk right, you know, you know, do every, I mean, uh, anything, you know, just make sure you do it right and don't let anything derail your plans. There's always going to be obstacles in life where something derails your plan. But you got to have a mental process where you say, not going to do it. I'm not going to let it happen. Stay focused. Yeah, I'm not going to let it happen. And, and, and doing that, it's hard. You know, I, and I have to speak for that because it's hard. You know, it's like, but if you do it, you can get to a point in life where you can just say, I've done it. You know, and that's where I'm at today. I've done it. You can hold your head up. Yes. You're talking about pride. Yes. Yeah, I've done Be it. Be prideful know? in the and work. you ain't got to worry about somebody saying, well, he did this, but he didn't do this. Well, ain't no matter what I didn't do or what I did do. It's where I'm at today. Where am I at today? Um, Kessler wasn't the only boxer who went on to <coughs> some pretty big acclaim in the sport. You, after the Kessler fight, you lost two more fights back here in the States before going on to a three fight win streak in Nashville. On November 26th of 99, you fought Corey Spinks in New Orleans, which Joanne alluded to. Spinks was right. 20 and 1 going into that fight. Right. Here, I was blown away when I read that you fought him. So he was the son of Leon Spinks, who right. I remember watching in 1978, winning the undisputed heavyweight championship by defeating Muhammad Ali right. in a split decision. What is considered one of the biggest upsets in boxing history? Did you watch that fight? I did. So we're about the same age. You, and <laughs> I, I did. We're just kids. I, remember, I did watch that. I mean, fight. I didn't know I did. anything about boxing, but I come from a big family too, right. one of seven kids, and yeah. I remember we were all around that television watching that, screaming thinking Muhammad Ali, I didn't even know who he was, but I could tell by the way people talked about him, they talked about him with reverence. Yeah, he was going to beat was, this guy, yeah. and Spinks wins. Yeah. I remember a scream I, in our I living remember, room. I did he, watch that fight. I remember that fight. It's like, and even to that day, you know, I, I don't even believe that I even recognized that I was really fighting. I, I just <laughs> so remember you're fighting I just, Leon Spinks' I remember, son, I just remember watching that fight and talking about that, you're talking about those days. My first movie I went to was Downtown in Cinema was a smoking the bandit okay <laughs> i watched that and then the second movie i went to see was rocky <laughs> and from that day on i'm like I said, yes <laughs> <laughs> you walk out you walk out of auditorium just 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 punching it's like absolutely after, and during that time i think man i don't even know when those those movies came out but those I'll talk like I'm old, don't I? <laughs> we're, we're getting there, buddy. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so Corey Spinks, he's 21, but he's the son of Leon Spinks, who right. we were talking about 
So did you know about him? Did when you went into that? Was it? Intimidating? I didn't know anything about Corey. I just knew he was Leon Spink's son. Okay. Was it intimidating? Were you nervous no, about just him? just knowing he was Leon Spink's son? That was like, I'm fighting somebody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm fighting somebody just because of Spink's name. I'm fighting somebody. You know, it's like yes, and that's that was that was really one of the real main reasons I fought. Corey was because I knew he come from a boxing family. Yeah, yeah St. Louis. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Spinks held multiple world championships in two weight classes, including the undisputed welterweight title from 2003 to 2005, and the IBF junior middleweight title between 2006 and 10. So right. he he went on to uh, quite a career as well. Uh, here's something interesting I read too. Another Columbia boxer, Tim Spider Webb, right, yeah. another uh, boxer from from here. He said uh, in an article, I'm grateful for any opportunity I can get, but my mission now, this is after he won a title that was pretty pretty big, his mission now was to disprove the myth surrounding all Tennessee fighters. I know that going into the uh, Calais fight, people probably looked at me and thought I was just some dumb, unskilled, tough hillbilly. It's a bad stereotype surrounding fighters down here. Is that a stereotype that you heard about or experienced during your career? Did Tennessee fighters have a have this kind of a reputation? I'ma say it depends on where you where you went, who you heard it from, and how you put it all together. Because we all we grasp things in different sit uh, different different reasons, or it 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 hits us in a different kind of way. You sure. know, it's like to me, to Tim, he felt that way. To me, I didn't feel that way because. I'm 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 nobody anyway. To me, I'm already nobody, and I'm making myself somebody. You know, it's like, huh? So that's why I'm headed. That's where I was headed. You, you weren't got, concerning yourself with what people thought. You're just I wouldn't worry about nobody. Yep. <laughs> that that that's me. That's always been. I'm not worried about nobody. I'm worried about me. You know, these because if you worry about what these people say about you, it 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 follows you. Yeah. Mentally, if you let that follow you mentally. You already done. <laughs> that I mean that's a that's a mature thought process right there. Does that come in from inside you, or is that something that was taught by your your coach, or where did you learn it? Morgan, yeah, he's the biggest inspiration in my life. I tell you, he is. You know, when it comes to him, there's nothing that man did or said that was in my eyes was wrong. Everything he did or said was always right. Hmm. You know, and I'm sure we all have our flaws, but you know, everything he said or did was always right. You know, and that was times where him and I bumped heads. But at the same time, when I lay down at night, I knew after talking to him or dealing with him, I'm going to sleep good. I'm going to sleep good. Yeah. <laughs> you fought several world champs, including Miguel Cotto, a multiple-time world champion and the first Puerto Rican boxer to win world titles in four weight classes. In 2007 and nine, he reached a peak active pound-for-pound ranking of seventh in the world. You fought Paul Williams, who held the WBO welterweight title twice. Right. You fought... Andre Birdo. Andre Barto. Uh, uh, right. FedEx builder down in Memphis. Yep. Two-time yeah. former welterweight world champion, having held the WBC and IBF titles between 2008 and 11, and Miguel Angel Rodriguez, WBC welterweight champ. Who's the best fighter you faced in your 42-fight career? Best fighter I ever fought was Miguel Cotto. Hands down, Miguel Cotto. I mean, the rest of these guys, some of those guys, I, I want to say... Miguel Cotto, Andre Roberto fought each other. I don't know which one them won, but when it comes to fighters, Miguel Cotto was the was the best. Why? What about him? He had an awkward style that I I really just 
didn't adjust to and I tried, you know, it's like after watching him and I fight, I see that I was very too slow for him. You know, he was really, he's mentally ready for quickness, move, movement, you know, and he, he had it, you know, and power. That's the most, I mean, he was the most powerful guy I've ever fought. Even with Michael Kessler, you know, he's he was good. And, I mean, he had a good, he was another person over there in that ring, but <laughs> Cotto was the most powerful guy I've fought. What makes a puncher a hard hitter? You know, they, some of these, Cotto doesn't look any larger than you, I right. think, in the ring. But right. what gives him the power maybe that another boxer might not be able to get? The power comes from speed. And when power comes from speed, it's also in the way you plant your feet. Because if you plant your feet and you're, sta- you're, you're stable when you throw a punch and it comes off and it connects, that person's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> that person's in trouble. You, you know, if they connect good, yeah. So you think Kata was the best fighter you ever fought? Yes. Which was your best match? Wh- which fight did you fight in that you said, I was on my game? It's the best best fight I ever had. We just spoke of DeAndre La- Lottimore. Lottimore. I was on my A game. When I say I was on my A game, I was on my A game. Every punch, like I said, every punch I threw, you know, I knew you I landed was, him. I was messing him up. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was I was at home the other day and I got stuff, I mean like memorabilia all over my house and I pulled out this box out of my in my uh closet and the first picture I see where I, I pulled down and opened the box and the first picture I see was him and I fighting. <laughs> I made the front page that day and I threw a punch and just crushed him. Hmm. I mean it just, just folded him just like I was like that was such a good fight. Why did I win? <laughs> why, why, did, why didn't he go down? Why did I win that fight? Yeah it was like that was such a good fight. And it was your last fight? Yeah. That so was the sense, best one. You lost but in a sense you went out on top. Yeah, and I still went I mean, out at the mentally, top of your, uh, Yeah, mentally, I I was I was good with that fight. Even they told me I lost, I was still good with that fight. You did your, a, you did your best. It was a judge's decision. Wasn't yeah. mine? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my decision. It was judge decision. Oh god. In, in the midst of this pretty amazing boxing career, you had a family. Yes. Uh how many children? Eight. Eight kids. Eight. So you're working alongside the time that you're boxing. Yeah, six make, hours plus a week. Yeah, ends meet. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Uh, are any of your children boxers? Fred started out. My oldest son, which is Fred, he started out fighting, and he stopped. I really didn't want him to fight. My youngest son, which is Sammy, he he fought, but I really didn't want him to fight because my main thing was boxing was okay, but in my mind I was thinking, you know. It's a lot of brain trauma there, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I dealt with it. You know, I, I walked away. I walked out of some rings where I looked like the elephant man, you know. How many you know? times were you knocked out? Any idea? Four. Four times. Four times, yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, knocked out, knocked out. Mm-hmm. Knocked out, knocked out, three. You know, as far as being TKO. Yeah, unconscious, yeah. At least three. And I was like, I didn't want that for them, you know. It's like, and I, I've always told them, you know, go to school. School. School is the most important thing. And I taught all my kids, you know, school is the most important thing. You know, you go to school, get education. That's what you're going for. If you have an opportunity to go off to college, you go to college. You have an opportunity to go off to tech school, you go to tech school. Let's do, let's do, what, let's do something that's going to be mentally strong for you, you know. And my kids, you know, and, and I think I was hard on them. 
actually no I was hard on them you know and it's like even to this day they talk to me and say daddy he was hard on us you know and uh, I say you know I did a good job you know right. because all of them really went all of them really graduated school went off to tech school or college except for my 14 year old which is the one left and uh, I think they're all doing great you yeah. gave them all the opportunity to go off to college yes with a with, with a boxing career and also working a full-time job right and, and all they had to do was just go to school go to school you know and we even even go to school get an education you know and then once they got once they go to school get a job get a go to school get education they still they still worked they still got out of school went straight to work and still did school you know all of us taught to do do what's best for you financially and i've always told my kids like you in this world i'm here to do my job my job is to help you get edu- get you get you to the adult stage and get to the point where you got to go out and make a family for yourself you know it's like and when you get to that point you have to go out you when you move, leave, leave this house you have to go make a life for yourself don't make your life around me or around columbia you know you can make your life anywhere in any other state or country you know, go make a life for yourself. I was like, because daddy's always going to work. You know, daddy's always going to try to do good, you know. And if you need something, daddy's going to always be here. But you have to go make a life for yourself and just be that person. You were an anchor for all of them. When I, you I, tell them that I'm always going to be here and I'm always going to work, that gives them a confidence moving forward to go right. to school or follow a career path, whatever career path they chose. Right. They know that they have an anchor there. I assume in the manner that your mom was for you. When your kids say yes. you were a tough dad, yes. you to said this, at the beginning of the show, I had a tough mom. Yeah. And in the same this, way. To this day, she still, she, we talk, they talk at least twice or three times a week just to say, hey, I love you. And, you know, or, or what you're doing or just the other day. She knows I like to play golf now. So she looks, she was at, she was out uh, at yard sale. She's like, do you have golf clubs? I was like, yeah, I got a good set. She's like, I was like, why? She said, I didn't ask you to ask why. <laughs> well, did your children stay in Columbia? All, all of them still live here in Columbia, okay. except for I got one that lives in Texas. Okay, okay. Yeah. All the rest of the day, I mean, I, I feel like they're doing good, you know. So we all have downfalls and we all have different things going on in our life where it's not so good. But at the same time, I feel like they're doing great. Yeah, that's life. Yeah. Um, you fought 42 bouts in your career, professional career, 211 rounds total. You left boxing in 2009 at the age of 39. Um, what did boxing teach you? 51 years old, looking back, what did boxing teach you in your life? How to be a stand-up kind of guy. How to be a stand-up kind of guy. And that's and that to this point in my life, I feel like I'm a stand-up kind of guy. You know, and that's if you want to come and talk to me, we can talk all day. You want to come and argue with me? We're not arguing. I don't argue. I don't argue. I don't fight. I walk away from you. I'm just the stand-up guy. Is the guy to stand there and talk to you and have a conversation. And ain't no, I don't feel like there's no one in this world in my lifetime that can say, I just don't like that guy. As a person, I feel and think <laughs> that everybody likes me. And my wife was like, Nobody really likes you. I was like, okay, I'm okay with that. But my feelings say it's different. <laughs> Will you spend the rest of your life in Columbia? I'm gonna say yes, yes. I, I most likely will. You know, and if not, it's just a decision where it comes on later in my life. But in this point, yeah, I, I most likely will. You know, because I didn't buy my first house till four years ago. 
you know and now like i'm i'm i feel like i'm okay i'm so happy with it sammy silk sparkman thank you for sharing your story with us today it's been an honor to meet you get a chance to talk to you thank you for having me i hope that your story and i know it will will be a lesson and an inspiration to others we end the show with this quote from boxing great sugar ray leonard if you never know failure you'll never know success on behalf of joanne mcclellan my co-host thank you for listening we'll be back next week with another edition of history's hook thank you for joining us for this week's edition of history's hook with your host tom price we hope you enjoyed today's show be sure to join us every tuesday at 4 p.m right here on wkom 101.7 for a journey through time 